invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we are back uh, once again on the topic of freedom. And we'll be looking at verses 13 through 15. Galatians chapter 5, and we'll just read uh, verses 13 through 15. Paul writes, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, uh, you've written this thing by your spirit. Uh, These very words come, Lord, from the pen of the apostle by the inspiration of God, and and they're meant for us. And I pray that you give us ears to hear them today. And Lord, not just here, but but by your spirit, um, see this as as life and health and peace, that we would walk these paths. so that our lives would be a life that is fruitful and blessing uh, other people and a life that glorifies you. And so, Lord, do this um, through your word, which uh, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Paul, as I said, is, is, uh, is talking uh, really through the letter of Galatians. A general theme has been the theme of freedom. And um, he's, he's speaking a language uh, or uh, an idea that resonates deeply in the human heart. There's, um, there's something in every man that yearns to be free, right? Patrick Henry famously said, give me liberty or give me death. Uh, we can't help but yearn for freedom. There's something about tyranny and bondage and slavery that, that uh, torments the soul of, uh, of people in uh, particular and uh, devastating ways. Uh, you don't have to convince people of the goodness of freedom. If you ask people, do you want to be free? Uh, the answer will be yes. The problem is we don't know what freedom looks like. We don't know um, what, it, what it really is. Uh, the first lie that was ever told in this world was the devil's lie concerning freedom. As uh, the devil deceived Eve into believing that uh, her best future, her fullest potential, her liberty and freedom would be found uh, not in obeying the law of God, the word of God, but in going her own way. And that lie has been the lie that has defined humanity ever since. Uh, Boys and girls, a question for you. Have you ever caught a fish? Have you caught a fish? Have you ever seen that that fish uh, flopping around on the ground? Uh, It's not a great pretty sight. Uh, But let me ask you this. Have you ever had a fish thank you uh, for bringing them out of that cold, icky, wet water and onto the nice, firm uh, land? Have they they ever thanked you for that? I mean, because there are reasons maybe that they should. Uh, There's so many things you can do on land. You can go to the mall, you can go to the park, you can, uh, they could ride with you in your bicycle. Um, there's, all so, there's all sorts of opportunities uh, that land provides, things they could never do in, in the water, in the sea. So why don't they thank you? Why don't they say, man, it is good to be on terra firma, um, appreciate it. And the answer, of course, boys and girls, is uh, fish can't breathe on land. Uh, 
they were created for water. And that means that the freedom of a fish is uh, the freedom to live where God has placed them and to do what God created them to do. That's the freedom of a fish. And if they step outside of those boundaries, they die. Well, what's true for fish, boys and girls, is exactly the same for people. That our freedom, our true freedom, is found in living in the reality that God has created for us. And the reality that God has created for us is the reality of communion with God, uh, living in the, in the boundaries of His law that He's given to us, and when we do that, we live in freedom. Adam and Eve knew perfect, beautiful freedom in the Garden of Eden. As they walked with God in the, in the cool of the evening. Uh, as, they, as they happily uh, obeyed God's law. And they experienced all the full blessing of God. Think of the freedom they had. Free from sin, free from fear, free from death, free from guilt and shame. They were free to have a perfect marriage. Naked and unashamed, free to enjoy all the goodness of God's good creation. It was glorious freedom. And all lost the moment they uh, decided to step outside those boundaries and believe the devil's lie and go their own way. And that story is told over and over and over. Uh, as humanity continues to believe the devil's lies, which um, concerning freedom, right? The devil's lies, do your own thing, have it your way, uh, serve yourself, and it always and only produces perversion, shame, and death. I was talking with someone just this week who uh, had a, a relative who passed away. A man who was born and raised in the church, but uh, decided to live his own life and go his own way on his own terms and made an utter ruin of his life. Married and divorced three times. Uh, he died alone. Uh, no one knew, no one was there, a bitter, angry, filthy, perverse man. That's the devil's freedom. That's what we get when we seek our liberty on his terms. Well, praise God for the gospel. Because the gospel is the good news of God's activity in Jesus Christ to rescue you and me from the bondage of self. The bondage of having it going our own way, doing our own thing, living on our own terms. Jesus Christ came to set captives free. Uh, Paul has just reminded us in chapter 5 verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Uh, by, his, by his obedient life and his victorious death and bodily resurrection, uh, Jesus Christ has set you and me free from bondage to our sin, bondage under the judgment of God, bondage to death, and we have been set free now to live a new life, to be new people, to walk in communion with God, to walk in the boundaries of His law. That's the freedom that Paul is talking about here this morning. So we're going to look at these verses just with uh, under three headings, destiny, dangers, and definition. A destiny, dangers, and definition. First, just this word, uh, a destiny. Paul says, you were called to freedom. Well, when Paul talks about, when he uses the word called, he's got a very specific thing in mind, uh, and that is the sovereign outworking of God's sovereign purposes 
for you. So you just got to hear that word with all the, the weight of God's sovereign, omnipotent power and purpose. That, that God's purpose when He sent Jesus into this world is not just to save us from our sins, but to bring us into the full glory of freedom as children of God. And to do that not only in the future, in, in, in a new heaven and a new earth, but to begin that work already here and now. We have been called to freedom. It is God's eternal purpose for us. His sovereign intent for us. To walk free before Him and in communion with Him. So we've already been set free in Christ from the pollution of sin. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. We've been set free from the power of sin. We don't have to obey it. We're going to be set free from the presence of sin. There will be a time when there is no more sin and uh, no more curse, no more pain, no more death, none of it. It's all gone. God is at work to set us free. And our destiny then, you see this, because it's God's purpose for you, this is your destiny. To live, to walk in actual, true freedom. To really and truly be experiencing what Christ has accomplished and what God has purposed for you. But there are dangers to our liberty and Paul wants us to be aware of it. God's sovereign call, which is really good news. Uh, if, if God has sovereign, sovereignly called you to freedom, you shall be free. However, that does not diminish the that there are dangers, there are threats to your freedom. Paul speaks of uh, that in Galatians chapter, uh, well, the whole, cha the whole book actually, is, is about the dangers to our, to our liberty, our freedom. The, the uh, primary point of, his, of, of the letter is the danger of legalism. Uh, because these teachers have come up from Jerusalem and they're teaching the Galatian believers that the Christian life, if it's to be truly Christian, has to be a mosaic life or it has to be under, under the law. You've got to keep all the law as a way of making yourself right with God, as a way of being justified, being declared righteous. Well, that's just legalism. That's righteousness by law. And uh, legalism is just death by religion. And the reason it's bondage is because it can't actually save you. It can't deliver you. It can't rescue you from your guilt. It can't rescue you from death. No matter how hard you try to keep the law, uh, it, it, is no, it is no help to you when it comes to justification. And so that's been Paul's primary plea to the Galatian churches. Don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Christ has set you free from that. Don't go back into it. Don't go back into legalism. But there's another danger, another threat to liberty, and that's licentiousness. Uh, that's, so you, you've got this road of freedom that we're called to walk. On the one hand, you have the ditch of legalism. On the other hand, you have the ditch of licentiousness, which is um, living according to your flesh. So Paul says, you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Just a couple of words to define. When Paul talks about flesh, he's not talking about skin and bone. Uh, he's talking about your sinful nature. 
And you, uh, if you have any consciousness of yourself at all, you know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about that part of you that loves to serve you, that part of you that, um, that delights in sin, the part of you that actually really does want to have its own way and really would like to throw off the, the, uh, the boundaries and commands of God. That's your sinful nature. You're born with it. You're going to die with it. It doesn't go away when you uh, get converted, when you become a Christian. What happens when you become a Christian is uh, you get a, a new nature uh, so that you are now living with a, this ongoing sinful nature battling and, the, and this new nature created by God, the Holy Spirit himself within you, which is battling against the old nature. Paul's going to talk about that in verse 16 and following. So we have this war going on. This uh, caused by the presence of the Holy Spirit. But Paul's point here is, all right, you've been set free. Don't let your freedom be an occasion to indulge your flesh. Um, the, the word for an opportunity here is, it's, it's a military word. It, it would uh, be used when a, uh, an army would, would move forward on some campaign and they would set up a camp, a staging, a staging camp, and that would be the place from which they would launch their assaults. And Paul says, you have this freedom in Jesus Christ. Don't let that be a staging camp for the flesh. Don't let that uh, be a, 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 something you say, well, Jesus loves me. I'm free from sin. I'm free from judgment. Therefore, I can sin. I can indulge in, in this particular temptation. I can indulge the flesh. God forgives, right? That's what he does. Uh, I, I know he'll forgive me, when, so I, I can do the sin, and then uh, later on I'll ask for forgiveness. Well, that's that's uh, exactly what Paul's addressing here. 1 Peter 2.16, Peter does, says the same thing. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. The fact that Peter and Paul both, both address this, uh, it, it, it just proves that it's a common problem. Uh, the, the devil will use this. He, he tried to use it with Jesus, though Jesus had no sinful nature, right? You're, you're the son of God. Cast yourself down. Take advantage of the, the promises of God. Uh, serve yourself. Well, the devil's absolutely doing that in your life and my life. Um, after all, we could use even biblical arguments, right? If the devil comes, he could, he could, say, he could just quote scripture, just like he did with Jesus in, in the desert. Uh, the devil could say, haven't you read your Bible? Uh, the Apostle Paul clearly says in Romans chapter 6, 14, you are no long, longer under law, you're under grace. Well, then live like it. Why are you worrying about what the Ten Commandments say? You are loved by God. You live under grace. You're forgiven. Live like it. Live like a person who appreciates grace. Sin boldly. Well, <clears throat> the word that uh, we use to describe that is antinomianism, anti-law. And it's captured in a little jingle here. Uh, free from the law, O oh blessed condition, I can sin as I please and still have remission. It's catchy. It's tempting. 
I would suggest to you that Mardi Gras, which will be coming up here shortly again, it's a classic example of just this thing. Mardi Gras is a religious holiday. Uh, the idea is uh, you get to indulge your flesh before Lent starts, um, where then you've got to renounce the flesh. So let's sin, that grace may abound. Or let's sin so that uh, we'll sin now, we'll get remission later. Go to the priest and get it taken care of. Well, that's antinomianism. Sinclair Ferguson, in his excellent book, The Whole Christ, um, talks about how practical antinomianism is alive and well today. Listen to what he says. He says, practical antinomianism has many forms today. One of them is the secular gospel of self-acceptance which masquerades as Christianity. Quote, since God accepts me the way I am, what God wants is for me to be myself. This is very concrete expressions in what are euphemistically described as lifestyle choices. This is how I am. God is gracious. He accepts me as I am, and therefore I will remain as I am. That's the subtle, devastating lie at the heart of what is known as gay Christianity. God made me with homosexual desires. Uh, he loves me as I am, and so I'm free to celebrate who I am. I'm free to remain what I am. That's exactly what Paul's talking about, indulging the flesh and under the freedom of the gospel. Of course, there are, there are ways we do the same thing. Uh, we will, we will um, avert, avoid the, the press of the law in our life um, by... Using similar sorts of language, the way I am. I've heard people say, you know, um, I don't have, uh, you know, my, my anger isn't really a problem. Uh, I'm just a very emotional person. That's the way I am. My lust, I know it's there, but hey, I'm just a red-blooded American male. It's the way I am. Uh, I know that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, intense and impatient. Um, I can sometimes really be, you know, cross and unkind, but... It's it just, it's the way God made me. My mother was the same way. Just the way I am. Well, it's the same lie. It's the same attempt to roll out from under the press of the law uh, by appealing to something else. Um, Fer Ferguson points out that this attitude not only ignores the law, but doesn't understand grace. He says, at one level, the problem is indeed a rejection of God's law, but underneath lies a failure to understand grace. It is misleading to say that God accepts us the way we are. Rather, He accepts us despite the way we are. Isn't that true? He accepts us despite the way we are. And He does not mean to leave us the way He found us, but to transform us into the likeness of His Son. Without that transformation, we do not have any evidence that we were ever His in the first place. So if just the way you are isn't changing into what God has called you to be, then there's, no, there's not evidence that you actually belonged to Him in the first place. So how do we understand the relationship between the gospel and the law? Well, it's not that difficult. When it comes to justification, the law is no use. Okay? When it comes to being, de being declared righteous before God, the law is no help. No one will be justified by the law. 
The law convicts you. It condemns you. And you cannot, by keeping it, undo that conviction or that condemnation. That's what Paul means when he says we're not under law, but we're under grace. The law can't condemn us. That's justification. When it comes to sanctification, to living and growing in, our, in the new life that we have in Jesus Christ, well, the law is a necessary and good part of that journey. Uh, it, it's the path under our feet. I, I think it's Spurgeon who said that we are no longer under the law, but the law must be under us. In other words, we better be walking the path that the law lays down. Remember, it's God's law. It's Jesus' law. It reflects His moral character, who He is. So that Jesus says, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. You keep My law. We can't draw a line right between, between who Christ is and what He says in His law. So the freedom that Paul's trying to help us understand here the freedom we have is a freedom to obey. It's a freedom to look at the law and love the law and by the Holy Spirit increasingly to keep the law. That's Christian freedom. Now what does that look like in real life? Well, we get to our definition. It looks like serving other people in love. Through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The freedom that we have in Jesus Christ is the freedom to actually not just care for people, but to, to do things to serve people. So it's not an emotion. It's a, it's a, it's a life of dying to self, dying to self-interest, and, and actually doing things for other people to bless them. And, and this is not a freedom you can choose to exercise or not, right? You, there are many freedoms we don't need to exercise. You, you, you are free to vote. If you, right? and, and you could say, well, I'm busy today. I'm going to choose not to exercise that freedom. This is not that kind of freedom. Uh, those who do not use their freedom in Jesus Christ to actually grow in the likeness of Christ by the power of Christ likely don't know Christ. If there's nothing in you that makes you desire obedience, holiness, goodness, well, well, then you need to really examine yourself. Do I, do I actually belong to Jesus Christ at all? Is the Holy Spirit actually at work in my life? Because as Ferguson says, without some evidence right, of, of transformation, well, there's no reason to believe that you were ever in Christ in the first place. The mark of a child of God, the mark of a free person, and the presence of the Spirit is going to be a desire to actually serve people. And it, and it starts right where you live. It starts right at home. So let me ask you, do you, do you notice any progress in, in loving service over the last year, last five years, ten years? I mean, is your Christianity actually doing something in, in your life? Is it making you more helpful at home? More humble at work? More patient in your driving? If you're, if, you're, if you're driving with the same emotions now you were 10 years ago, 
I, I just encourage you to think and pray about that. What, what's going on? Are you more ready to forgive? Are you more generous with your time and money? Are you more gracious with those who sin against you? Are you more sympathetic with, uh, concerning the weakness of other people? Boys and girls, are you, are you more uh, eager to obey your parents? Young people, are you more ready to include the outsider? Is the gospel doing something? Are we exercising our freedom? Uh, my last birthday uh, present was unique and memorable. It was uh, my birthday is the end of the end of May, and we didn't celebrate it until we were on vacation um, in June. Uh, but uh, we went out, just just the adults, to a local pub, and uh, and the kids said, "Well, we didn't get you anything," which which wasn't a real promising beginning. But um, they said what, what, what they wanted to do instead was just say things that they appreciated about me. And uh, it wasn't a long conversation, but I remember um, one of the boys said uh, something like, um, it's, it's good to see God changing you. You never used to help mom with the dishes, and now you do. That was very humbling, convicting, and encouraging. Um, it's true. Now I could say, well, I grew up on the farm. We, you know, farm boys don't do dishes. It's, it's part of the definition. We do chores, the girls do dishes. I could, I could appeal to that. Problem is, once we got married, I wasn't on the farm. I was just selfish. Just perfectly, happily selfish. And God is doing a work in my life, and it's not all there yet. Uh, you can... You can I wouldn't encourage it, but you could ask my wife about it. It's still an ongoing work. But you know, it just really blessed me that the kids could see that there's actually a change. Not in some grandiose act of piety or public charity, but just in the simple act of helping with the dishes. You see, Jesus died on the cross not just to rescue me or to rescue you from the wrath of God. He died to give you the freedom to do the dishes. The freedom to humble yourself and die to yourself and to do something and some things that bless other people just because it's what God wants you to do. That is Christian freedom. Anna Waring captured this truth perfectly in her, in her hymn, Father, I Know That All My Life... The last verse says this, In service which thy will appoints, there are no bonds for me. There's no slavery in service to which thy will appoints. My secret heart is taught the truth that makes thy children free. A life of self-renouncing love is one of liberty. Liberty. So we have to resist the lie of the devil that, that uh, if you want to be happy, go your own way. Do your thing. Serve yourself. It's, it's a lie from the pit of hell, and it brings nothing but death and misery. The freedom that Jesus Christ came to bring, to give you, is both freedom from the wrath of God and freedom from your petty, pathetic selfishness. It's the freedom to set you free from your bondage to yourself, bondage to your own desires. It is a freedom to serve people with kindness and with gladness. To serve them because you've been set free. This morning we're going to come to the table of the Lord. A table that reminds us of what Jesus Christ did to purchase this freedom for us. He gave his life. Uh, he gave everything he had. So that you and I could be set free from the wrath we deserve. And set free to follow our loving Savior and Lord. 
and to show the grace and the kindness and the compassion that he showed to us. It's what we're free to do. Let's celebrate it together at the table. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, you've called us into a whole new way of being and living. Uh, You've called us out of the bondage of our selfishness. And Jesus, we want to walk in this new freedom we have to die to ourselves and to live to bless others. And Jesus, thank you that your spirit's been given to us to, to give us the strength. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you forgive us when we fail. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us many opportunities to try. And I just pray for your your people right now this morning. Lord, you know our lives. You know the things that are hard for us to let go. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us a, a, a vision, a clarity of the joy that we can have as we die die to ourselves and as we bless people generously and sacrificially with our time and our money that our preferences are set aside and and Jesus we take on with, with gladness the calling to which you've called us bless us now Lord Jesus as we come to the table and are reminded so wonderfully of, of how you set aside all the glory of heaven to serve us I pray that we receive this food and drink, signs and seals of all that you've done for us. And also, Lord, that as we eat and drink, we would commit ourselves to this life you've called us to live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.